Hello, you're listening to Season 3 of the Hypotheticals Podcast. I'm Adriano. And I'm Andy. And this week's episode is sponsored by Billy Bob's Discount Eye Surgery. 99% of the time blinds you 0% of the time. Adriano, I have been wondering, what about society would change if all machines did the exact opposite of what they were supposed to do for, let's say, about 1% of the time. <laughs> so you mean a slight improvement over how computers currently work, Andy? <laughs> <laughs> Who's in the room with you, Adriano? Is that your long-lost sibling? <laughs> it's my evil twin. Get out of here, Badriano. That's not funny. All right, he's gone. We can talk seriously now. All right, okay. what if every device did the exact opposite of its intended function, like 1% of the time? Yeah, so 99% of the time, you're, you're cooking with charcoal. Mm-hmm. But 1% of the time, the charcoal's... The charcoal? The charcoal <laughs> is cooking with you. Ah, uh, yeah. that's. A, I can see it. See, the thing is, phrasing it like that, 1% doesn't sound like a lot. But actually, depending on the machine, it really can be. Yeah. And I, I think the crux of the matter is, is this predictable... Or not? Is it an average of 1%? Or I is think... it exactly one minute out of every 100, but you don't know when it's coming? Or is it just, you know, on a predictable loop? I think it's random. It's like you're you're spinning a, a roulette wheel. And, you know, mm. each time you use an appliance. And, you know, what, whatever happens is complete. You don't know what's going to happen every time. Okay, because if it was predictable, I was thinking for some things, it might not actually be too bad. Like, I've got an image of, um, like, a motorway, right? Just cars zipping along, more or less in unison, and then they all just stop and kick into reverse. But all at the same time, just for a little bit, and then, no vroom, vroom, back we go the other way. It's only a problem if people have big differences in, like, how fast they accelerate and decelerate. Yeah, you're driving along, and you're like, oh, we're starting to go backwards, and you pull a lever, and you, the steering wheel flips around, the whole, like, cockpit revolves, well, and suddenly you're driving to. backwards. It wouldn't, nothing would, you'd keep doing exactly the same thing, but the steering wheel and everything would be performing exactly the opposite function, so you'd just, you know, be alright. On, on a straight motorway, you'd be okay. Yeah, as long as you're not going down, like, some country lanes, and suddenly yes. you're, you're going back around the, you know, the hairpin <laughs> corner that you just went around. Yes, that's true. Um, While trying to steer the opposite way? Yeah, no. Okay, there might be some problems. I guess in in that circumstance, then your best bet would be to just stop. Like, presumably, there'd be a lot of caution involved in driving. Anything similarly dangerous? Uh, Every time you lift something up with a crane in a building site, you make sure there's nothing too expensive underneath, just in case. (laughs) You're just ready for it. I quite like the idea of some of these things. They do the opposite, but it's still somehow... Uh, somehow could be seen as useful. So, for example, with with transport, like a plane, you're like flying through the air, but mm-hmm. but, but like sometimes when you go to take off, instead you just tunnel down into the ground, <laughs> you're right, super and helpful. you you tunnel your way to your destination instead. I see, but yes, but you're only tunneling for one percent of the trip. Well, it depends whether it's like 1% of the time when you turn the plane on, like, you know, when you turn the keys in the plane to turn it on, um, whether it's like that counts as one go. I like this a lot. You see what I mean? I was picturing like um, out of 100 minutes of continuous use, one minute will, it will just kick into reverse, whatever the machine is. Mm -hmm. You're saying turning it on, you, you toss that die and then whatever mode it switches on in, it stays in. 
Yeah. And you don't necessarily okay. know what that mode is until you're... <laughs> you know launching yourself down the runway it's like oh we're tunneling today okay off we go guys <laughs> that's fine because you've just got a big drill built on the front of there like you just yeah. have to make things dual purpose basically it's a plane yeah. or it's a kind of a mole man train it's you one turn the, the windscreen wipers on uh which you'd have to install <laughs> i don't i Real don't think planes have rocks. windscreen wipers um i don't know i guess the windows are maybe not super important in planes but they must still get wet I think the speed of the plane, the rain just runs off. Oh, you're probably right there. Okay, but they need... I mean, unless they are tunnelling at speed. I don't know how good the technology is going to be. <laughs> the technology of something you didn't design. It, <laughs> it just happens to be doing the opposite. Well, once you figure out that this machine plague has taken hold, then everything just becomes a bit more expensive, basically. Because, okay, you want to build a plane, you're going to have to double that up with like a, a tunnel digger. I, I don't even have a term for this. But, you know, your boat, it's also going to have to be a submarine, I guess. Yeah. You know, your wheelchair... I don't know what the opposite of a wheelchair is. <laughs> um, I don't know, some sort of mech suit? I'm not sure. I guess, yeah. It gets intriguing. Um, what counts as opposite is definitely That's, a major question, yeah. right? It's open to interpretation, certainly. Which is where a lot of the, a lot of the fun lies, I think. Yeah, definitely. Because arguably, a plane just cutting out is the opposite of its intended function. You know, like the, yes. the, the turbines are meant to spin, the engine is meant to, you know, and then they just stop. And that would arguably be manageable, you know, one hour out of every hundred, well, maybe not an hour, one minute out of every hundred. <laughs> you could do that. Like, if you're in the air, and it's just like, ladies and gentlemen, if you could just return to your seats, uh, the engines have indeed cut out. Um, but, you know, we're currently cruising at an altitude of whatever, so we predict that our dive will take us no lower than whatever, um, and we'll have you back in the air just as soon as uh, the plane starts working again. Provided it doesn't happen during takeoff or landing, then you're okay. That would be that would be the big issue. Mm. Mm. But I, th I think planes will be a lot safer in this um, mole device scenario, and all you'd really have to do is just um, those screens in the airports that show like estimated arrival times and all the rest of it, and websites and that, uh, you just got to widen that, put in an extra column, because now there's going to be two estimated arrival times based on whether it's flying or tunneling, because you can't pretend the tunneling is going to be <laughs> as fast. So you just accept like, okay, you know, like sometimes there's bad weather, sometimes you're playing burrows into the ground. <laughs> You, just, you know that, it's and, a risk. And presumably you're looking at the screen and one out of every hundred times, the departure screen is actually the arrival screen. And the <laughs> arrival screen is the departure screen. I this this makes no sense at all. That. It's true, yeah. Unless, you know, unless it's just much more convenient than that and all that happens is that all the individual little, um, I don't know, pixel-making light-up jobbies inside the screen, they just reverse what colour they're doing. You know? <laughs> yeah, it just shows up true. with like, terrible colour design, but it, it conveys the same information. Well, well, speaking of uh, screens, I was thinking of televisions. Mm. Obviously, the standard setup is you sit down to watch television um, as it's broadcast throughout the nation. But what if 1% uh, of the time you sit down and it's a bit like the TV show Gogglebox. You, instead of watching television, your living room is broadcast to a channel. Mm -hmm. It's just you and your underwear eating nachos. Yeah, and you've just got to wait like your slot until you're able to you know, actually watch television again. So I guess you have to make sure that you're dressed every time, unless you, unless it's a kind of a chat roulette situation, in which case, you know, whatever you feel like. <laughs> then it's just, yeah, just kind of a free-for-all, I guess. It depends what you're going for that day. Well, look, honestly, um, thinking about getting dressed, not the other thing, I applaud that, actually, just as a social revolution. 
taking more care, being better prepared. You know, like particularly this year, I don't think I'm alone in having gotten into a bit of a bad habit of essentially rolling out of bed directly into work because I can, <laughs> right? Yep. A lot of people are doing this, I think. And I don't do it every day because I don't like it. I prefer getting up earlier. No, no, let me rephrase that. I never (laughs) prefer getting up earlier. What I prefer is just having some time between waking up. Um, Because I don't feel good waking up, Andy. Just a personal confession of mine. I I don't feel good. (laughs) Well, this is pretty pretty controversial, Adriano. (laughs) A lot of our listeners enjoy waking up in the morning. The earlier the better. I I hate them already. I can't stand it. I'm sorry. (laughs) Morning people, I don't know how you do it. Um, I'm bearing my soul here, but I, I woke up... Uh, from a nightmare last night where I was, <laughs> there was a giant black monolith on like Ooh. a lunar hellscape. Was it in Utah? <laughs> it might have been. <laughs> for all, it was that level of of harrowing. Um, and I I woke up gasping and whimpering, um, and managed to get back to sleep eventually. But then when I woke up again because my alarm had gone off, I felt quite similar. And that is not an uncommon experience. So I don't like waking up filled with these, you know, whatever chemical poisons sleep has filled me with, just (laughs) barely knowing what dimension I'm in, and then having to turn on my laptop and be in a Zoom meeting immediately because it's the morning catch up. I don't like that. I would... But but I'm coddled, you know, I'm, I'm allowed to do that because my Mm -hmm. webcam can just be off and my mic's muted and nobody knows, nobody knows what kind of state I'm in. You know, I'm feral on this end, but as far as they're concerned, I'm very professional. I'm doing my job. You've built a giant uh, black monolith in the corner out of mashed potato and <laughs> food colouring, and you're just worshipping it while going, "Yes, Barbara, that sounds like a good idea for the release." Yeah, I'm just I'm daubing blackened mashed potato on my own body in uh, runic designs of my own creation. The laptop sits atop the pile. Um, <laughs> as befits its stature um but they're none the wiser and you know part of me is very grateful for this it's one of the few good things to come out of this pandemic we are spared the commute and you know having to sit near our colleagues and just oh god but on the other hand um on the days when i actually get up early enough to go take a shower get dressed before work and just kind of you know get into the right mind space I feel better about it. I think I tend to feel better for the rest of the day. I don't know. I'm unwilling to admit that as yet because I'm not done rolling out of bed straight into work yet. Um, we'll, we'll see how I, you know, wrestle with my own subconscious about that. Um, what was the initial point I was trying to make? <laughs> I have no idea. Sitting down for television. <laughs> yes. You should think about that. We live in a world of screens that you just, you know, you got, you got two minutes between thing and thing. All right, time to open your phone and start scrolling a feed of some kind. You know, the stuff is mm. there all the time. But if you're, every appliance involves a camera these days, why shouldn't your TV? And why shouldn't you be terrified that, you know, just know that at any moment the whole world could be looking over your shoulder or worse, looking directly at you? You cannot afford to not be looking presentable the whole time. We are not judged as harshly uh, as, as we were some time ago, you know, about how we dress and all the rest of it. And I think in a way that has weakened our moral fibre. You've got to be ready uh, and willing to stand up and recite the national anthem on cue as soon as that little uh, light on your television goes red instead of green. Absolutely. But speaking of kind of uh, household uh, items and appliances, um, there's a few things which would have issues. Mm. Uh, So I'm thinking of washing machines. 
Oh, um, yeah, that's good. So you <laughs> you put your clothes in, and just, you know, one out of every hundred times, they come up absolutely caked in filth. <laughs> just like, you know, like, the sludge that collects in drains? Yeah. That oh, yeah. stinks, and, like, if you're, you know, if your water supply's a bit dodgy, sometimes you'll get a whiff of it. Mm-hmm. It's that, but just all over your clothes. So, like, one in every hundred washes, you're just ruining your clothes. You get 99 washes and one in filthening. But you don't know which one that's going to be. No, you it don't. It could be number one. <laughs> it's yeah. like, I bought all these new clothes. Oh, I got some ketchup on it. Do I risk washing it? Mm-hmm. Because it could just be, this is going in the bin now. Once again, I think this would be great for our moral fibre. We set too much <laughs> stock in, you know, expensive clothes and all the rest of it. No, I say. Buy from charity shops. Be less attached to material things. Your clothes are irredeemably filthy. I mean, we're still assuming that this is the kind of filth that another wash wouldn't fix. Yes. Okay. Because you'd have to be very unlikely, uh, very unlucky to have two bad ones in a row. So, you know, maybe you just you put it on again. Yeah, I guess the, the thing is, if it's doing exactly the opposite, it would make it equally dirty as one wash would make it clean. Right. So it wouldn't be disgustingly filthy. It would just take two washes to make it clean yeah which is actually all right isn't it that's not bad that's not bad i think you've got more of a problem with a fridge i don't know if this is on your list of uh homeware i've got a freezer yeah <laughs> yeah every so often it just cooks your food yeah it just boils your food randomly but if you, every hundred days <laughs> if you time it right I, I, well you couldn't i guess if it's unpredictable yeah then you've got a problem if it's predictable you just know when your barbecue's gonna be yeah you wake up in the morning and you you smell the aroma it's like oh i guess it's a full cooked breakfast <laughs> on the menu with whatever is in my freezer <laughs> guess i need to consume everything i own <laughs> everything i've been stocking up on over the next couple of days Actually, I think a fridge would be worse because with a freezer, right, it would go from being extremely cold to extremely hot. Mm. And so it would be like, it would be pretty obvious. But with a fridge, it would go from being quite cold to quite warm. Oh, yeah. So you just have lots of food poisoning all the time because you'd never, you'd probably never like get the food out at the point where it feels warm because yeah. like that's low odds. But there's it's a high chance that at some point that's been warmed up and then has cooled again i think it depends how cruel um the genie is or whatever entity (laughs) has created this scenario um because if it's like a completely random like it could cut into heat mode for like 30 seconds and then next time it's going to be a month you've got no idea then just you're screwed no more fridges for anyone but if it's like um because this a fridge is not a thing that it's like okay i'm going to use the fridge let's see if this is a good use or bad you know it's continuous so if it's a more manageable thing, like one day out of every hundred, then you're going to find out, provided you check your fridge daily. What's gone is things like, oh, I'm only going away for the weekend. I can leave this milk in there. You know, that's yep. a, mm, throw everything out when you get back. But um, yeah, if it's like going to be for a day, you just make a habit. You, you, you wake up. Hopefully your bed is still behaving like a bed. Now, okay, bed doesn't count <laughs> is, as a machine. Is that a machine? <laughs> no, fair enough. It's only a problem if you've got one of those like... Um, the mattresses that, you know, you, you can push a thing and it will, like, lift you up and put you in a, you know, like yep. a hospital bed. Now, this is the question. Are these machines capable of turning themselves on? Are you safe, provided it's off? Because hmm. that machine is designed to just hold a position and occasionally adjust it. Does, yeah, does... is it just when you're clicking that button? I guess it would have to be, wouldn't it? Like, the activation, yeah. maybe. You're, you're pressing up, but it goes down. Oh, no. That's actually one of the... That's fine. That's Okay. Yeah. Unless the opposite <laughs> of its function is breaking your back instead of supporting it. I like the idea of an alarm clock which sedates you <laughs> instead. That's good. You're not getting up at all today. Oh no. Today's your one day out of a hundred. <laughs> Sleep, my child. Uh, That's very But good. yeah, no, if, if it's a reg- regular schedule, then like, 
it you just have to remember like oh it's day 100 and you take all your frozen food and you put it in the oven yes <laughs> and anything you want to cook you put it in the freezer and uh, who knows what you do with the fridge stuff put it in the uh what's warm like um, a the foot bath yeah <laughs> yeah know. yeah in front of a space heater or something maybe but i was thinking like sometimes this could be useful as a thing mm. like so so things which are specifically designed to break things become very useful because you mean like a jackhammer or no well yeah maybe or like a blender Uh so like oh i dropped my iphone and it's like smashed everywhere Mm. so you get all the pieces together you put it in a blender and you just keep turning on the blender until it empty blends and you have an iphone back that's very good and uh, the did you ever watch that will it blend youtube channel (laughs) yeah okay yeah every so often they'd have a special episode um, where they just get like one of the bags of nondescript dust from a previous episode and just recreate whatever it is, you know? Every, because, <laughs> Out of dust. Well, because that after they blended, like you didn't end up with much of whatever object, mm-hmm. right? It was a powerful blender. So as long as they collect all that dust and then they've just got some intern in the back just running that through the blender over and over and over. (laughs) 99 times out of 100, it's just blending the dust. It doesn't do anything. But one time, it'll recreate the object. Get that on film, put it in slow-mo. Looks great. That would be awesome to look at in slow motion. Just like all the particles reassembling themselves. They look incredible. Yeah. I'm not thinking about other slow-mo videos that'd be really weird. Like, uh, you know, like where they shoot a tomato or whatever and you see the bullet go through in slow-mo. It's crazy. And now I'm like, what about guns? Yeah. That's Uh, terrible. I haven't even thought about weapons. Suddenly, it's 1% of the time, it's fast motion. You don't even see it. Oh, God, yeah. That would just be lame. <laughs> Content wouldn't be as good. God, isn't that the worst curse? <laughs> what, would be, what would the opposite of a gun be? I don't know. See, a misfire is already a thing, and you get explosive misfires, right? Like, less with modern weaponry, but, like, a musket blowing up and killing you. I guess it would suck bullets out of people. <laughs> oh, that's even better. It becomes a medical device. Yeah. Like, anti-kills. <laughs> Yeah. Although no, not a very good medical device because you've just shot them 90 times before it worked. Well, look, this is the thought I had. <laughs> um, would you, again, assuming that a genie or some evil deity has decreed this, could you get around the curse um, by lying? Like with some kind of reverse psychology? Like, oh, this is my, you know terrible innator this device is designed <laughs> to make everything bad oh no it's, it's it's going wrong everything's great now you know uh, more specific yeah. examples than that but um i was thinking about like um again this is a continuous device so you get that unpredictability like a fridge uh, but life support right like ventilators dialysis machines and so on yeah you've got a real problem and i assume what you need is to build redundancies into everything so there's a second machine that detects the instant it's gonna, you know, it flips to the opposite thing. You're like, oh, you're pumping poison into that person's bloodstream. No, 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 no. disconnect that feed. I'm gonna take over, right? But then that second machine is also gonna conk out and start messing with it one out of every hundred hours. So then you need a third machine. Like, you need enough redundancies. I think it becomes an interesting mathematical problem for people who know these things. Um, trying to figure out like how what the most cost efficient way is of doing it reducing the odds never to zero but like to a manageable level yeah. that is not because with with two machines it'd be one in ten thousand which is for something like a life support machine you need better than that exactly. so you need i think you need at least three because that would be 
one in a million. Right, but then picture like the expense of three dialysis machines per uh, yeah, no, it's not good. patient. <laughs> and then you, then you get to wondering, well, okay, one of these machines is only kicking in one out of every 10,000 hours. That's a tremendous waste. Can you hook up the second and third machines to more than one patient? And then they'll be monitoring. You know what I mean? Then you've got you to factor in the odds of like, okay, what are the odds that two machines are going to go at the same time? Yeah. It gets complex. I guess, I guess a, a way around this, which would kind of break the scenario, is you invent machines which their job is to turn off. Just their, their only job is to turn off a machine if it's malfunctioning. Right, but every so often they go wrong. Yes. So you still huh. have the same problem, don't you? <laughs> yeah. I mean, medicine as a whole is a an absolute nightmare yep. in this scenario because, okay, I've got a whole list of these, <laughs> like, some of which are worse than others. So, like, hearing aids, temporarily, hearing aids make you more deaf, which is, like, you know, it, it's a temporary thing because, like, you take your hearing aid out, it's fine. Yeah. Um, But, like, laser eye surgery, in, in 1% of patients, they're just blind. Like for good, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, pacemakers become useless again. Because... You'd need redundancies. You'd have the you'd have <laughs> you're multiple of devices in your chest. <laughs> Huge. But like one percent of the time, they they give you a heart attack. Like that is the opposite. So <laughs> I mean, I'm like, like um... let's be fair. A pacemaker's job is to prevent arrhythmia. I think by just emitting like a pulse that stimulates your heart regularly. Yeah. So. So surely if it gives you a massive arrhythmia... Would it have to be massive? Like, is that the opposite? I'd, I'd like, if it's just off, that's bad enough. But it's doing the opposite, so surely that's... Fair enough. I've, I've, a lot of it comes down to negotiating with this genie, I think. Yeah, I, it I'm does. trying to persuade them that the, that the device doesn't need to go as bad as they think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought, you know the new kind of surgical robots that are coming in? No, uh, but especially I'm excited in, like, Japan to and stuff. Them. Yeah, they'll like do you know surgery like with scalpels and all sorts of attachments. They're like really yes. clever and and can be like actually much better than human doctors. Oh yeah, they're they're starting to get to that point. But now, in one of every hundred surgeries, they make an absolute mess. Oh yeah, they just, just put you you carve you up. Yeah, <laughs> it's not pretty. Mm. Um, you've mentioned kidney dialysis uh, already. I quite like the idea of. Um, MRI machines, magnetic resonance Im- imaging, mm-hmm. which basically take your magnetic field mm-hmm. uh, and use it to produce images. So I guess the opposite of that is they make you magnetic. <laughs> it's just a superhero <laughs> factory. It turns out magnetos 1% of the time. But it's terrible because then you can't have another MRI because you're so magnetic. Is that the worst aspect of creating magnetos on an industrial <laughs> scale? I mean... What, like a magneto who can't control it? They're just constantly magnetic. I guess not. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I think, yeah, there'd be a few problems with that, I think. But I, I do I do like that. This is the thing, really. It would bring to light this whole new um, possibility space of like a real test of ingenuity, figuring out how you can pitch machines such that their opposite is also somehow useful. We're coming back to the tunneling plane thing. We need yeah. medical devices where like... Um, you know, dialysis machine, what's it doing? Uh, it's stripping poisons out of your blood. That's good. But we need to frame it in a different way such that the opposite is not just pumping you full of poison or the opposite is, you know, dispensing chemo or something. And then you need to make sure everyone on a dialysis machine <laughs> also has cancer and that they're happy with unpredictable doses of chemo. <laughs> Which everyone would be, let's face it. 
<laughs> Maybe you could figure something out. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a doctor, but I think giving <laughs> cancer to people with kidney damage is a good idea. Um, <laughs> I was thinking, that can you can you game the system in another way though? So, like for example, you you take someone who's already blind and you make a blinding machine. Um, yes, this is exactly it. The reverse psychology. It's like, it's like the blender. Um, uh, so it's like a thing which, like, if a normal person, normal in quotes, uh, you know, fully sighted person was going. Um, and uh, stand in it, they would be blinded by this incredibly bright light. Mm -hmm. You go and stand the blind person in until they can see again. Yeah, because it, it might take a while. But yeah, you've got to keep running it, and you've you got to make sure you don't accidentally blind them again. That's um, the game. You need stuff that, that won't work when it's functioning quote-unquote normally, like, ho-ho, genie, this is what we wanted to be doing. Oh, it's not working, <laughs> oh, boo-hoo, right? And then when the genie's like, ha-ha-ha, and now welcome to the Bizarroverse, and then you're like, oh, God, finally. It does a thing. And I guess you could do... I don't know what else you could apply that to. Um, <laughs> I have A no thing idea. which breaks your arm, but it's already broken. I mean, that'd be quite painful. You've got to go through like 99, yeah. <laughs> 99 further breakages before you get your arm back. <laughs> well, eventually it fixes one fracture, but in the meantime, it's produced like 98 <laughs> oh, yeah. more. So Depends that's how not... exact it is, yeah. Mm, no, you, you need things where like, as you say, a, a, an already blind person would be completely unaffected. And even that's tricky because blindness is, is a spectrum. Um, yes. from like you know full 2020 vision or whatever through to zilch but no it's perfect because if they're not already 100 percent blind oh we'll just turn them blind it turns them completely blind and then it undoes that you gotta have a lot of trust in the process but yeah you do <laughs> yeah you know what i can see that working that's fine but it would be cool for like um uh space missions because mm. like hey guys we're gonna go to mars and then you're like whoop just kidding, we're going to the centre of the Earth. <laughs> it's like, well, I guess this is fun too. We were interested in doing either. Um, the grant yeah. was conditional, so it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> we're ready. <laughs> Just call the, call the geologists in, tell the astrophysicists to go home. <laughs> Everyone's gathered around the launch pad like, three, two, one, and it ignites and melts through the floor and it sinks down. <laughs> they are, well, all right, guys, we got a sinker. <laughs> Initiate the reverse protocol. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, Just for every hundred space missions, you get one journey to the center of the Earth. That's not a problem. I like that. I think um, the the real thing that's niggling at me. There's a couple. I, I know. I know that probing the edges of these these hypothetical scenarios is always a little dicey. Yeah. Um, but I do have some questions. One of them is how simple can the machines be that are affected? Like, would literal like simple machines like as invented by the ancient greeks or whatever levers wheels pulleys mm. like what is the definition of a machine so you're saying like would the laws of physics be disrupted significantly i mean on some level that's always what's happening right because we can picture a, a glitch like a software glitch like something's messed up in the code and it just cocks up every so often we can picture that very easily but if you're talking about like a plane or a car I know they've got computers in them these days, but like, you know, is my is my classic car from, you know, the 40s immune to this? Because it doesn't have anything in it that's too complex? Surely not. So yeah, true. how simple do you go? And uh, I'm saying if the wheels themselves and the levers and all the rest of it are affected, first of all, just what is the opposite of a seesaw? Um, I don't know, <laughs> but I'm curious. Like the opposite of a spirit level. It's a saucy, isn't it? <laughs> there we go. You nailed it. <laughs> 
There it is, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but, th- uh. but then that raises the question, a car is not one machine, right? It's a whole collection of them bundled together. If the wheels are going to go in reverse every so often, just spin the other way or whatever, you know, then also your brakes are going to do the opposite every so often. And your windscreen wipers. And that's probably all of the components of a car, to be honest. But they're all <laughs> going to do it individually. So if it's yeah. not synchronized, if it is synchronized, then every just 100 minutes or so, your car falls apart just completely. <laughs> it just explodes. Yeah, it's just, yeah. you're done, get a new one. But if it's not synchronized, then it just never actually works. I guess it, it depends if you're following the sort of philosophical model of, you know the thing where it's like, is my father's boat still a boat, still the same boat, even though I've, I've replaced the hull and I've redone the oars and I've repaired the sail with the new sail and like, you know, swapping parts? Is it still the same I like this a lot because it suggests that your father is Odysseus. Yes. <laughs> I, was it Odysseus or Theseus? Or, it was some like ancient Odysseus Greek celebrity. Odysseus did a whole, whole lot of sailing, so it could well be. Probably him. Um, Theseus was the Minotaur guy, right? I don't think he went in yeah, yeah. the boat. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> Unless it was a, a flooded, uh, yeah, global warming, flooded <laughs> labyrinth. Um, the, the habitat for Minotaurs, is, it's terrible. Anyway, we're going to do a GoFundMe. <laughs> he found the Minotaur, just drowned, could not swim. <laughs> Quite sad. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, getting back to your father, Odysseus. <laughs> yes, my father, Odysseus. Um, uh, so yeah, it's like that concept. Like, is it when they're all together, all these pieces of technology, do they function as one whole? Mm. And then it's the opposite of that function. But if you like stripped the car for parts right, and then like tried to use the individual radio, then it would broadcast your voice nationwide. Yeah, I think you'd probably have to go with like, um, like Harry Potter magic logic. Yeah, as in it's completely logical. Yes, as in like <laughs> it kind of expect it kind of does what you would expect it to do, having not thought about it too much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I seriously recommend. I don't know if I talked about this. I don't think I've talked about this on air. Maybe I have. I don't know. I, I do remember one of our early episodes. I just nitpicked Harry Potter a load because that was fun. I think that was episode one. <laughs> it might have been ah back in our salad days. Um, Anyway, I, there's an incredible Harry Potter fanfic. Have I mentioned this? Called Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality. Have we talked about no. this? No, no, no. I seriously recommend it. It is the only fanfic I've ever read. And therefore saying that it's the best fanfic I've ever read is possibly not the greatest accolade, but it is legitimately fantastic. Better than the original, okay. I would say. You have to have read the original to truly appreciate it, but it's really great. It's basically, uh, I'm not going to wax lyrical about it. The summary is, it's Harry Potter, but what if, instead of being like a poor abused child um, raised by generic rubbish muggles, um, he was actually raised as a scientific prodigy by like an Oxford physics professor. Okay. And so he's still, you know, the fated hero of this magical land. He gets summoned to Hogwarts, all the rest of it, except he like knows science. Um, and he just walks around going, what the hell is going on? Oh yeah, for many chapters. <laughs> it's honestly fascinating. How long is this book? Oh, long um but the thing is it's 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 a whole series in itself like you only need the one story like he gets things mm-hmm. done the the fight with voldemort let me tell you happens a lot earlier um, <laughs> his guns bang he you know he thinks about these things like he knows guns exist yeah yeah so it's great and 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 it, it makes the point uh and that's why my mind went there is that like some magical it depends how much what the author has thought about um or the game designer or whatever some magical systems it's like some kind of 
odd extension of the laws of physics, but they are thinking about, like, energy input and yada yada. Harry Potter magic, there's none of that. It's literally just, you know, I wave my wand, say the word, and it, it works like a magic trick on stage. So, assuming that your genie had that kind of philosophy, then I suppose you can get away with thinking of a car as a single device. But then if your genie is that... Um, that, you know, disinclined to be bothered about granular reality, then you can get really silly stuff. Like, I want a, a fire hose, like for firefighters, that just spews flame for like a minute. Oh yeah, that'd be great, often. yeah. <laughs> right? It depends, yeah, it depends on the temperament of your genie. Very how, much so. uh, how fun and laid back he is. <laughs> like, can I have this? And he'd be like, yeah, go on. <laughs> I don't know why you'd be asking for fire hoses. It's not a very nice one. <laughs> I like fire, um, but <laughs> I, I figure it's more about whether this is like something has happened to the laws of physics or like the genie is trying to punish you for your hubris. So it's going for like maximum irony, monkey's paw style, you know, because like curtains say, uh, curtains are not a machine, but indulge me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Electronic curtains. <laughs> Like, electric blinds are a thing, right? Like, you know, where you push a button instead of, you know, like, oh, you can get so tired hauling on those bits of string. <laughs> We've made things easier, guys. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Um, yeah, and, and uh, you know, that that device actually doing the opposite just means that, like, they go up or, you know, what, you know the opposite. Um, or do they, you know, turn transparent and just let all the light in every so often? Like, how right. magical is the scenario? Because you can't really get fire coming out of a water hose. Yeah, because one one of my things was uh, in this realm where it's sort of like you've got a fossil fuel power station um, and it's just like temporarily, instead of burning coal, it produces coal. Oh, infinite um, energy. It, it uses electricity and just, well, no, because it uses the electricity, I guess, okay. and just make, uses it to make more coal. <laughs> <laughs> and And all of your normal, like, dev- it depends if this is like a nationwide thing, like everything would break instantly but anyway mm. if all your normal devices like producing electricity feeding it into the grid oh yeah every so often the grid uses it to make coal <laughs> that would be so funny i i am picturing <laughs> i don't know why because i mean okay yeah this doesn't work at all it's got to be magical whatever presumably the coal would be produced like within the furnace that is normally there to burn the coal but i was picturing little lumps of coal going down the electricity wires like a like a cartoon <laughs> ostrich swallowing a, an orange you know yeah. just that lump but yeah it would be that sort of thing i mean like bank transfers i mean i guess this is less magical because this is just like i guess this is a flaw that could feasibly happen but like instead of paying for something you pay to receive it hmm what so you just like you might like you you, you zap your credit card on the the thing and it's like great, I'm paying for my £50 item, and instead it adds £50 to your bank balance. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then actually, it's just, it's a kind of Russian roulette every time you do any kind of transaction, because it might reverse a really big one, or a really tiny one. Yeah, and and it's like, 
I'm paying for a house and I get, you know, £300,000 or it's like, we're paying your wages. You don't get anything this month. We've actually taken it away. Yeah, it's like we're transferring, <laughs> you know, your your loaded grandfather's inheritance. Oh, whoops. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. You get minus $800 million. <laughs> Ah, yes. And people were trying, people would be gaming the system immediately, like all the weird things they do with the stock market and Bitcoin and all the rest of it. Like those clever uh, IT mathsy people would be out there figuring out odds and figuring out like with what frequency to make transactions of what size to try and, you know, make it happen, make money just come out of nowhere. I like that. I also like the idea, low tech, of uh, books that just go blank every so often. Okay, is that is that a machine like a Kindle? Yes, let's say Kindle because I was thinking books, but they're not machines at all. I'm just getting lost in a world of my own. <laughs> yeah, because I was like one of these things. I was thinking was like, oh, maybe Botox in medicine was like it's not really a machine, but I do like the idea of it. Just like at sometimes you just get aged twenty years, but actually that does sort of already happen. It kind of does. You do get botched <laughs> stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember uh, reading an article. Uh, it, about like a Brazilian, is, is it called a, no, is it a Brazilian wax is a thing? Is a Brazilian butt lift a thing or did I just invent that? <laughs> this is no a... idea. Isn't that, it's a sport at the, at the Olympics, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Olympic butt lifting. It's very serious. Um, are you, are you lifting butts or lifting with your butt? Ah, uh, lifting butts with your butt. Presumably. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Yes. Yeah. Um, but the point is that these, these uh, implants like go wrong sometimes and nobody likes that. No. But yeah, okay, let's say a Kindle, not a book. Uh, that's really boring, though. That's just your Kindle runs out of battery, like, every so often. Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> but what would what the opposite of it? Would it be it sucks knowledge out of your brain? Oh, you just forget the last chapter you read. Yeah. That kind of happens anyway. I think we just get on with life. That's fine. Maybe, maybe this is already happening on a subliminal scale. God, yeah, we don't realise it. Things, it's conditional. Yeah, that c- could be happening. I don't know. It's a pain if you're cramming for a test, but otherwise it'd be kind of whatever. That's fine. I don't, I don't know why I started making this list. I was like, tables, stop supporting stuff. Tables, <laughs> that well-known machine, right? My new electric table. <laughs> <laughs> then I got to thinking about... Um, violins just start making tuba noises does a violin count as a machine probs not i i, I think like a theremin counts there as we a machine. go like uh yeah but then like if a theremin started making weird noises i'd be like fair play man like that's what it does anyway i like the idea though of, of stuff like uh like record players mm. In, instead of playing a record it, it sucks all the noise out of the room a bit like uh what was it called in harry Old potter or tom Deluminator or something. Oh, shoot. Okay, no. I thought you were going for a Pratchett reference. Um, oh, no. I can't remember what it's called. But yeah, that little lighter that Dumbledore flicks and it sucks the light out of street lamps. Yeah, it's like that, but with sound. Yeah. What's the Pratchett reference? Um, there's a bell in uh, the... Oh, yes. Yeah, I don't know what it's based on, but the university bell here in Bristol is called Old George, uh, named after King George the whoever. Um, mm-hmm. The university bell for Unseen University, uh, the College of Wizards... Uh, it's called Old Tom, and it tolls sonorous silences that cut through the noise and bustle of the city, which is quite cool, I think. So yeah, it'll be like that. That'll be cool. Yeah. I, I was just thinking a record player, but it like starts playing the B-side every so often. Yeah, yeah, just like a little fragment in the middle of the song. Yeah, just a bit. You get a remix every so often. Or it starts playing it backwards. Oh yeah, and then you can hear Satan. <laughs> yes, like in that escape room we went to. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was fun. Which we could could not hear at all. No, not at all. It was such a good idea, and it did not work. And it was just like, 
it's like great yeah (laughs) helpful thanks satan real useful well look speaking of satan um i had some ideas for things that would just be like annoying more than dangerous Uh um so i get but i put smoke alarms on here and i don't know why because that is dangerous but i guess really i was thinking of them going off more often like detecting the absence of fire which they already do every time you make toast so they just wake you up more often I don't know if there'd be a way, you know, where they like just fail to detect fire. Like if you're super unlucky, maybe. That would that would be pretty bad odds, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's unlikely. And you just have more of them, presumably, on separate circuits. So you're fine. Smoke alarms? Yes. Yeah, fine. Uh, automatic doors. You're just going to get more <laughs> people walking into the glass. It makes for some funny gifts, provided your security camera is still working, as intended. And not doing the opposite, which I guess would be broadcasting your security footage. Um, escalators. And airport travelators. I want to see like businessmen rushing for their flight, and then like, oh no, going backwards. <laughs> you know, should have walked. You're lazy. I'm sorry, that's what you get. Should've yeah, taking the stairs. Um, <laughs> yeah, microphones and cameras. We already talked about this. Like, are we more worried about them muting themselves occasionally, um, or surprise unmuting themselves? I think surprise unmuting. As there have been a few stories in the news where people should have been unmuted and haven't. I think that is far more dangerous. Yeah, that's true. Because muting you accidentally people already you know it's not even one percent of the time it's 50 percent of the time in meetings <laughs> very good point. people do not unmute themselves so it's not going to make that much difference <laughs> it's true it's true maybe this is an idea for a future episode but I, i've just thought um it'd be quite funny if one percent of the time this is happening but another one percent of the time things are doing what they're supposed to but to a ludicrous extent Oh. So like you're on your travelator and sometimes you're heading backwards and sometimes it launches you Zoom. at about 100 miles an hour forward <laughs> and everyone flies off the end. It starts to become a question of just how unusable can we make machines before we just give up on the whole concept <laughs> and just go yeah. back to walking with our own feet. Uh, a feet a machine? I don't know. Yeah, is, is a, a biological organism a machine? Kind of. Arguably, yeah. There's like electrical signals and uh, it moves of its own volition and yeah. I don't even know what actually defines a machine at all. What's the opposite of a human? What's the opposite function of a human? That's a great question. Oh god, I just had an awful image of somebody sucking a baby back up. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, like... Well, on on the assumption that childbirth is the function of a human. Well, that kind of is, right? It depends whose perspective you're looking at it from. Like, but from a, a biological perspective, I the know, but people, purpose of humans is to make more humans. People are always adding like a sense of volition to evolution. And I mean, first off, like survival, right, is arguably... <laughs> so what? The opposite is just you die one in a hundred hours. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> but also evolution doesn't really want stuff, right? Like stuff just happens and pressures interact and it, it goes the way it goes. I think the the genie, you'd have to have a really intense conversation with the genie to determine what the purpose of everything is first, uh, humans most of all. Maybe this would finally give us the answer as to what the, the purpose of life, the universe and everything actually is. Yeah, and I like the <laughs> Cause, idea... Because of... we found out what the opposite is. Yeah, and isn't it appropriate that that should be dispensed by some malevolent genie sent to torment us? Andy, let's play a game. Okay. A game of Bibliophony. Yay, we've got a name for it. What What is that, Adriano? It's great. It's our game where we um, list for each other a series of things and somewhere in there is a fake and the other person has to identify it and also, possibly more entertainingly, decide what the things are. In this case, they're book titles. 
books again. There were so many good book titles which we did not get to um, in our last edition of this. Oh, man. So uh, I have been chomping at the bit um, to uh, to revisit this topic. He has. It's been insufferable. But thankfully... Yeah, just the constant gnashing sound. Awful. I couldn't sleep, but the day has arrived. <laughs> it's finally here. Let's get them out there. Have we explained what this is enough? We've got to guess each other's uh, which which are the real ones. That's kind of it. Yes, so I think the way we arrange it is um, one of us will read a sequence of book titles to the other um, and the other will have to give a brief summary of what the book is about Um, and then once they've been furnished with the actual, usually more boring, boring, (laughs) more boring burb, more boring blurb um, of the actual books, they will have to identify the ones that we have just made up. Uh, and yes. in this case, what numbers are we talking here, Andy? I think I've... Got... Uh, I, I actually have eight, but two are fake. Oh! Oh! Spot on! Oh. Could not have gone better if we'd actually talked about it beforehand. Have you got eight? Yes, I do. Two of them are fake. Ah, parfait. Do you want to do go. eight altogether, or should we do four and four? We could do four and should four. We do four and four? <laughs> okay, the first one is Bombproof Your Horse by Rick Pelicano and Lauren Tiarden. Those are good names. They are, aren't they? Bomb-proof your horse. <laughs> yes. That's not a misspelling of house. No. Okay, bomb-proof your horse. Hmm. I want to say that horse is here being used as a slang term for motorcycle. <laughs> okay, yeah. And this is a hardcore survivalist slash biker's manual um into how to ensure that your favorite ride lasts through into the post-war apocalypse you you, you you're gonna want to mad max it basically after the bombs drop and uh as it stands your your cool chopper or Harley davidson or whatever uh, it's not gonna it's not gonna cut it here's what you need to do a lot of metal yeah. plates you gotta rivet on a lot of human skulls need to be hanging off those handlebars etc that sounds good I'd read that book. I mean, not that I own a motorcycle or ever intend to get one, but... Uh, read the book. This might be fun. Might change your mind. Yeah, true. <laughs> okay. Um, the next one is Living with Crazy Buttocks by Kaz Cook. <laughs> yes. Or possibly the intonation is Living with Crazy Buttocks. I, I don't know. Oh, that changes the game somewhat. <laughs> okay. Um... <laughs> So crazy buttocks could be, you know, just their their university roommate, or um, <laughs> or the name of their imaginary friend from childhood, perhaps. Right. Yes, I like this one. Okay, no, I, in the, my first thought was some kind of, um, you know, like coping with cancer type dealio, but for a, a rare, um, <laughs> a rare disease only a recently rare diagnosed. Condition called crazy. Buttocks. Yes, but no, I prefer the idea that it's um, it's a it's a really heartfelt. Um, profound look into um, the the life and psychology of someone who grew up with an imaginary friend called Crazy Buttocks. So is it is it non-fiction or is it fiction? Um, I'm going to say it's non-fiction, but like told in that approachable, uh, you know, biographical style where it's almost like you're reading a story about someone's life. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's like a sort of docudrama, but in book form. Yeah. I and mean, maybe it's even from Crazy Buttocks' perspective. He writes some of the chapters. Yes, exactly. Every so often. They use a different font. It's quite difficult for him to grasp the pencil, but uh, he does it well. <laughs> Remarkably well. 
Uh, can't even see what he's writing. Uh, okay, next one is called Hemorrhoids Attack with an exclamation mark by Ellen Farn. Man, I'm wondering what Ellen Farn got called in high school um, <laughs> that put this at the forefront of her mind. <laughs> I wonder if it was Ellen Fart. It's possible. Um, Hemorrhoids Attack. Is it possible that there's a galaxy or out there or a nebula or something called Hemera and I just haven't heard of it? And perhaps hemorrhoid is the technical term for, uh, you know, the species that comes from there. And perhaps this is just a, an ill-advised translation um, of a book originally written in a different language um, where hemorrhoids translates to something completely different. And they thought it was just a wholesome sci-fi tale um, you know, about globe-conquering aliens. So you don't think it was that the, the aliens come down and, uh, you know, they're all fierce and all conquering, but we just laugh at them because they've got a funny name. <laughs> well, don't spoil it. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I'm skipping to the actual... Uh, the actual. Um, uh, oh, I've forgotten the word for blurb now. Blurb. <laughs> there we go. Burble. The actual burb. <laughs> the, uh, I, I thought you were going to go a different direction. Uh, the aliens come down and attack, um, except War of the World style or science style. Um, it turns out they're deathly vulnerable to hemorrhoids uh and so they're all just wiped out <laughs> wiped out good pun thank you uh <laughs> okay so the last one of this set is uh reusing old graves by douglas davies and alistair shaw old graves yes okay um that's just a. Uh... It's less interesting than you think. It's just a municipal manual on how to save space in, uh, you know, the competitive industry of um, burying folk. It's just a treatise on, like, the most efficient use you can make of a given plot of land and, and how deep you've got to bury those suckers to be able to... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, with proper planning, you bury them 50 feet deep, <laughs> you'll have enough space for ages. Exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's not... You know, it's not thrilling reading, but it's fun. It, it, it's um, it, it's functional. It gets the job done. Yeah. <laughs> okay, do you want to know what the actual um, synopses are? Or would you like to read me some of yours? No, no, go on. Hit me, hit me okay, with the buzz okay. I think we're about. The first one is quite long, so whew, buckle in. All right, I'm ready. Every type of horse and pony, no matter how well trained, is at one time or another faced with objects or situations that are confusing, if not downright terrifying. As riders, we often simply just wait for this moment to happen, and the resulting frightening, out-of-control bolt, balk, wheel, wh uh, <laughs> buck... Oh, I've lost my train of <laughs> We tend to expect this sort of reaction and believe that it comes with the territory. But what we need to do instead, in order to avoid risking life and limb, is to train the horse to cope with these disturbances. In other words, we need to bomb-proof our horses. Sergeant Rick Pelicano of the Maryland National Capital Park Police mm. knows only too well how important it is for horses to be absolutely safe. Bomb-proof, they've said it again, when confronted with unusual circumstances. For many years, he trained new mounted officers and their horses to withstand massive crowds, noise, chaos, and everything that is thrown at them, sometimes literally in police work. I'm a little disappointed oh. to learn... It is, a, it is a little disappointing, isn't mm, it? Okay, all right. All right, noted. Next. Okay, living with crazy buttocks. <laughs> yes, you, might, you might like this one more. All right, I'm ready. 
it's hard to imagine life with schizophrenic buttocks. <laughs> but, mm. but, this, but this book paints a heartwarming tale of adversity and ultimately triumph. Living with crazy buttocks is the true story of Marianne O'Keefe, a New York socialite who leaves a world of 1930s cocktail parties to travel in the native American heartland of the Western USA. It describes how she meets and falls in love with a man on the margins of his own society and brings fulfillment to both their lives through her selfless love. I don't really see what this got to do with schizophrenic buttocks, but there you go. But I don't understand. Like, normally, when a book has a really weird title and then a normal blurb, they just make no reference to the title. Like, like the men who stare at goats or whatever. I have no yeah. idea what that's about. Isn't it a Western or something? No, no, it is. Actually, that's a bad example. It's about men who stare at goats to try to make them explode. Are you serious? But, uh, yeah. Amazing. I can't remember whether it's based on a true story or whether it's fiction. I have to watch this film about exploding goats. Um, <laughs> the point is that they they put the title right there in the first sentence. They talk about yeah. the schizophrenic buttocks and then just forget about them. It turns into a something else, a romance. Yeah. So I have no idea what happens with the schizophrenic buttocks. Maybe they're kind of sidelined early on. They're just there to get the, the hook. This is a weird bluff for you to pull if you've written that. But I'm not. I'm not discounting it entirely. All right. Let's uh, hear the next craft, one. Crafty fellow. Okay. Hemorrhoids attack. It's just another day in suburban Boston for Detective Amanda Stiles. That is, until she gets a call from an anonymous source telling her where to find a gruesome murder of a person with particularly bad hemorrhoids. It looks to be a typical case, but then other victims start to be found with a similar affliction. As the bodies begin to pile up, Stiles must navigate <laughs> Boston's criminal underworld to save everybody's ass. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Okay, that's good. That's my favourite blurb so far. So at the moment, <laughs> I want to say that you wrote it just because I want to credit you with that. Um, okay. So let's let's see. Let's hear the fourth one. And the last one, disappointingly, weren't actually that far off. This book represents the results of an extensive survey carried out carried out by the University of Nottingham. Uh, blah 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 into public opinions on the reuse of graves. Mm. It will be of interest to a broad spectrum of those <laughs> whose profession deals in any way with death, as well as to sociologists, historians, theologians, and others interested in the place of funeral memorialization. And yes, <laughs> there we go. All right, fair enough, fair enough. Okay, okay. See, that is a good fake to slip under the radar. Um. Because it's very, you know, straight and narrow, does what it says on the tin. But uh, yeah. I'm going to stick with number three, Hemorrhoids Attack. It, it was Hemorrhoids yes. Attack. Yes, that's a good blurb, I mean. <laughs> I couldn't resist puns. No, it's very I good. had to put them you in. You cannot, it's true. That's very good. Okay, I still remember when I lost a Flim Flam film because, um, what was your thing called? It's about cricket. That's oh, just not um, cricket. No, no, that's what you thought it, wait. No, what was it called? Um, was that a Out of Left Feet. Out of left field. Right, also full of puns. Communist uh, you, uh, baseball players. No, that's players. right. You, you did get That's Just Not Cricket. Got it. You didn't get Out of Left Field. There we go. I, I got a zero in on those puns every time. Yeah. <laughs> if you really want to fox me, you've got to find a selection of blurbs that all involve puns. Yes. <laughs> okay, are you, I'm ready for some, uh, for some punny titles of your own. All right, let's see if you can find mine. <clears throat> so, we're going to start with How to Make Fires and Incinerate People. <laughs> you like that? We're just getting started. Oh, that's pretty. I found some okay. quite good titles. I'm pretty pleased. Okay, how to make fires and incinerate um, people? Sorry, am I coming up with a synopsis for? Oh this? yeah, sorry. By Jermaine Foss. That's all I was going to say. Okay, okay. Jermaine Foss. Wow, mm -hmm. that's a great title, Jermaine. Uh, <laughs> I'll let him know. I'm guessing. Is it okay? It's a how-to guide on your friendly neighborhood arsonist. Um, 
It's a, you know, it's like, did you ever hear of um, the anarchist cookbook? Oh, yes. Back in the early days of the internet, it was like a guide on how to make napalm in your kitchen and stuff like yes, that. Yes, and it was like, oh my God, people are sharing this and for free and you don't have to go yeah. to the library or anything. So it's that kind of thing. It's for arsonists, aspiring arsonists. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, it's got, it's quite dry in some cases, a bit like kindling. Um, and it's just got lots of like chapters on the best uh, fuels to use, um, how to get a fire going, how to get into buildings without people noticing mm-hmm. you. And yeah, it's, uh, you know, just full of lots of lovely, lovely uh, tips from um, someone who's been in the trade a long time. <laughs> And lovely illustrations, pictures of, of <laughs> nice fires. Beautiful illustrations. <laughs> They've got a very distinct palette. Yes. It's a lot of burnt orange. <laughs> All right, solid. Okay, keep that one firmly in mind. <clears throat> okay. Moving on. How to survive a garden gnome attack. Defend yourself when the lawn warriors <laughs> strike, and they will. I, That's in brackets. I mean... <sighs> By Chuck Sambuchino. Or Sambuchino, Sambu- I'm not sure. Sambuchino. Mm. I mean, this is so convoluted, it, it sounds like it has to be real. But then I'm like, so, so hang on. How to survive when garden gnomes attack, and then some other stuff. How to survive a garden gnome attack, colon, defend yourself when the lawn warriors strike, open parentheses, and they will, close parentheses. It's a whole blurb right there. I think um, it actually isn't much of, much to do with garden gnomes. It's actually just someone found the mad ramblings of a guy... And they just decided, hey, these seem fun. Let's publish them with one of his ridiculous things that he said. Mm. Um, and it's just like a collection of his life and his imaginary friends again. And uh, all of these scenarios which he, he thinks he's got into. It, maybe it's like it's like a a great guide for people who are into conspiracy theories. Because there's, there's something for everyone in there. He's confirmed basically every you know conspiracy theory in there. So... Yeah, I, I mean, that's so... That's quite specific. <laughs> what what threat does he think that they are posing? Yes. Well, perhaps we'll find out. All right. All right. Very astute. Um, number three. Now, this is kind of a response to... Um, avid listeners will remember uh, the last time we played this game with books. Um, Andy, what was it called? It was something to do with... Uh, crafts with cats or something? Oh, yeah. Crafting with cat hair. There we go. All right. Listen up. Knitting with dog hair. Okay. Better, <laughs> colon, better a sweater from a dog you know and love than from a sheep you'll never meet by Kendall Crolius. Wow. Mm. That's a much better title. I feel like dumb. <laughs> now, is this a very clever bluff that you're like, it's so similar, it has to be true? Or is it a double, wait, is that a bluff or a double bluff? <laughs> okay. It's okay. a self quadruple bluff. I mean, it's got to be the same thing, right? It's just, hey, guys, we don't want to wear disgusting things made out of smelly sheep, um, which is fair enough. It's like, we've got a dog right here. And you, it's just like camera cuts to their like completely shaved dog. It's got no hair left because they've, they've taken every inch they can and they're just covered in this lovely, luxurious fleece. So silky. And the, the dog's shivering in the corner. Um uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I guess if you wanted to add a twist to the end of the book, the dog could get his revenge for uh, having all of his fur stolen and, um, you know, maul them to death. <laughs> but I, I, I think it, I think it's probably another book by slightly strange people who just like wearing their pets. Nice. Well, that's our four. Wait, was that four? Uh, 
Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. Um, it's a little, <laughs> a little bluff there. Um, just to <clears throat> keep you on your toes. All right, here we go. Number four. You're going to love this. <clears throat> yep. Goblin proofing one's chicken coop and other practical advice in our campaign against the fairy kingdom by Reginald Bakley. Okay, there's so hang Bit on. So we've had ar- we've arson, we've had gnomes attacking, mm-hmm. we've got dogs, yes. and now we've got goblins. Correct. All these mythical creatures. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um go- okay. So again, quite a, lo- a long rambly title. Mm, some of them are. Maybe I shouldn't be reading out the bit after the colon. Maybe that's giving you too much info. Yeah. Goblin proofing your chicken coop. Mm-hmm. One's chicken coop. I mean, coop. is it just a by a person who's got confused between goblins and foxes? <laughs> They're like... Goblins. Those <laughs> someone... things with the bushy tails and the snouts. Yeah, yeah, yeah someone goes to interview them after them. It's like, why have you written such a strange book? <laughs> and they've gone, well, uh, it's not strange. You see them all the time. They're always breaking into my chicken coop and, and they terrorize the place. Look, there's one now. It's like, that's a fox, sir. What? <laughs> Always getting into my bins. God, I hate them. <laughs> All these fairies. <laughs> my dog's been rolling in goblin poo again. Uh, the editor thinks Look, the, it's a good like satire. The little puppet fellow on the on the television. What's he called? <laughs> Buzzle Brish or something. <laughs> oh, topical reference for our foreign listeners. <laughs> yeah, surely everyone knows Basil Brush. Oh my god. I remember he's, a, he's an international phenomenon. Bodger and Badger and uh, what was it like Sooty the Hand Puppet? Mr. Sooty's probably the most famous, right? Yeah, I just like I can't believe that we have such a history as a country of shoddy hand puppetry on television. Hey, what do you mean shoddy? <laughs> Bodger and Badger. I can't remember any of it apart from there was a lot of potato. There was a lot of thrown <laughs> mashed potato. <laughs> We're a nation of simple pleasures. It turns out, yeah, <laughs> and domestic abuse. If punches are yeah, to go by anyway, that and Bodger and Badger kind of really. I mean, I, I guess it does. They're, they're quite violent, aren't they? Maybe does it count as domestic abuse if it's your pet? Like cats claw you, but you don't call a helpline uh, the same way. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I don't know if it's less. It feels less dark. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to say too much. All right. Well, anyway, look, Andy. There's your four. What do you reckon? Uh, do I get to hear what they're actually <laughs> the actual synopsis? <laughs> no. That's stupid. Okay. It's it's I, I know we haven't done this segment before, Adriano, so it's hard to remember. It's the first time and it's just it's overwhelming. <laughs> Alright. Uh, so going back to the start with um How to Make Fires and Incinerate People by Jermaine Foss. So coming hot on the heels of Bridges Over Troubled Waters, Foss's highly successful first foray into the sordid history of civil engineering, comes this highly anticipated new volume, a sizzling collection of essays, anecdotes, and interviews wrapped in quick-witted satire. Starting with the Great Fire of London, Foss takes us on a tour through the country's most deadly and yet most preventable fires. Villages, chemical plants, tower blocks, even entire cities. He reminds us that nowhere is truly safe. Complete with first-hand accounts from survivors and interviews with experts, including at least one self-confessed arsonist, this work will stand as one of the century's foremost works on mankind's most ancient friend and foe. Hey, we got an arsonist We did get an arsonist in there, so there we go, you weren't far off. Okay. Um, let's see if you're right about the gnomes. This is How to Survive a Garden Gnome Attack, Defend Yourself When the Lawn Warriors Strike, and they will, by Chuck Sambuchino. Or Sambuchino. I don't know with this guy. The blurb is, There's a new threat in town, and it's only 12 inches tall. 
How to Survive a Garden Gnome Attack is the only comprehensive survival guide that will help you prevent, prepare for, and ward off an imminent home invasion by the common garden gnome. Once thought of as harmless yard decorations, evidence is mounting that these smiling lawn statues are poised and ready to wreak havoc. The danger <laughs> is real, and it's here. Class 1 wow. gnome slayer and gnome defense expert Chuck Sambacchino <laughs> has developed a proven system. Assess, protect, defend, apply for safeguarding property, possessions, and loved ones. Strategies include step-by-step -step instructions for gnome-proofing the average dwelling, recognizing and interpreting the signs of a gathering horde, and, in the event that a secured perimeter is breached, confronting and combating the attackers <laughs> at close range. Class 1 gnome slayer. Right? Not many people can put that on their CV. I love the mental picture of him just going around people's gardens who've got garden gnomes just kicking their heads off. <laughs> Another slain! <laughs> He's just putting like another notch on his sledgehammer. Also, class one. Is class one the lowest or the highest level? That's a great he's question. Like, he's, Maybe he's just he's actually a complete novice. Yeah, he's like a white belt who just <laughs> really jumped the gun and wrote a book. Yeah. I mean, wow. I was I was thinking this has got to be fake, but that synopsis was so long. <laughs> I'm like, that is a lot of effort if that was a fake. <laughs> so if that is... Bravo. All right. Um, okay, well. <laughs> we'll see whether I deserve your praise shortly. <laughs> now we have Knitting with Dog Hat. Learn to recycle Rover into beautiful garments and accessories. <laughs> Stop it. As the author's team... It sounds like he's died. <laughs> Shush. Shall we get through? Learn to recycle Rover into beautiful garments and accessories as the authors teach you this wacky new spin on an old craft. Knitting with dog hair is the definitive guide to, put, uh, to putting on the dog. In this tip-filled, easy-to-use book, the authors tell how to make afghan or beret from your beagle, um, how to collect, clean, and store your pooch's fur, how to modify your patterns to accommodate pet-spun yarn, how to find experienced pet hair spinners, a guide to resources and suppliers. From mittens from a malamute to caps from a collie, this illustrated guide is the creative answer to that vexing shedding problem. This fetching book is certain to be this year's best in show. Uh, I mean, uh, so <laughs> one of the things it said was putting on, putting on the dog. Yeah. That, is that an expression? I think it might be. I've never heard putty on the dog. Well. Okay, I, I mean, I think that's real just because crafting with cat hair, hair exists, so. It does. It's gotta, it's gotta be. It's gotta It'll be, be crafting with uh, tortoise shells next week. Yes. <laughs> crafting with tortoise hair. Oh, right. It's quite hard. <laughs> you first, you've got to find them. <laughs> What's your front runner at the moment? Um, It's still gnomes. It's still gnomes. Okay. All right. Let's see if goblin proofing changes your mind. Okay. So Goblin Proofing One's Chicken Coop and Other Practical Advice in Our Campaign Against the Fairy Kingdom um, by Reginald Bakley. I almost mispronounced it as Against the Furry Kingdom and it might be showing Ooh. its true colours there. <laughs> but <clears throat> here we go. Plagued by pixies, goaded by goblins, or bothered by gnomes. There's a little bit of cross-pollination here. Help is yep. on the way. Help is here. This is the essential primer for banishing the dark fairy creatures that are lurking in the dark corners and crevices of your life. In this charming guide, Fairy Hunter Reg not a class one fairy hunter though, note. <laughs> fairy Hunter Reginald Bakley offers practical instructions to clear your home and garden of goblins and banish them forever. In Goblin Proofing One's Chicken Coop, readers will discover the most surprising weapon to use when hunting gnomes, what absinthe drinking has to do with strawberry gardening, why a garden fumigator <laughs> may come in handy on evenings at the pub, why a toy merchant, a butcher, and a Freemason are amongst your best allies in the fight against the Fae. Uh, that was amazing. I love that one. <laughs> I, okay, right. I think one of that one or the, the gnome one has to be fake. 
but both of them are brilliant, so you should be very proud. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, uh, I'm going to go with Goblins purely because it is shorter. All right. I am sad to tell you that it is real and I cannot claim it. Oh. I know. And you know what? Gnome Attack, also real. I, no, I, come yeah, on. I made up how to make fires and incinerate people. But that was so ridiculous. I mean, that was a good one because I did not for a second believe that that was not real. <laughs> well, I was like, we surely some guy just loves talking about fire and being like, you did this wrong. Yeah. You should have prevented that. You know, prevented that. For all I know, uh, something very similar may be out there. I, I did run a search for the, the title, which seemed almost too perfect. I did discover that How to Make Friends and Incinerate People is a book. Uh, it appears to be a uh, young adult book about a supernatural high school where kids are discovering their superpowers. So... I see. No copyright violation there. <laughs> oh, that was a good that was a good set of books. Okay. All right. My last four. Yeah, let's go. Bonus round. You're in for a treat this time, listeners. Okay. First one. It kind of returns to a theme we had in our first series as well, uh, of books. It's called Noah Gets Naked <laughs> with an exclamation mark. By Zana Eve Chown. <gasps> Okay, Noah gets naked. Yeah. Now, there's a problem here. The problem is that the only Noah I can think of is the biblical Noah. And if it isn't the biblical Noah, it's immediately much less interesting. Um, (laughs) It could be about anyone getting naked for any reason. So I'm going to assume it is the biblical Noah. And this is either... It's either just a very disingenuously titled... Um, like in-depth exploration of the story of Noah or a radical reinterpretation of it that involves like nudism and free love and uh, generally more, (laughs) you know, happy-go-lucky sort of approach to everything. And I'm going with that one because I am picturing the dove alighting on the deck with the olive branch in its beak, but it's not an olive branch. Um, It's a spliff and that's a fun (laughs) image. So... No one was having a big old swingers party. <laughs> Two of every animal. Let's go. Really? <laughs> Zoological swingers. That would be the boat to be if you were a zoophile. Yeah, that's how you explain evolution in biblical terms. Moving on. <laughs> Hit me with another title. Okay. Uh, the next title I'm not sure will be much better. Mm-hmm. Um, American Bottom Archaeology. <laughs> Come on, man. You got an annual fixation this episode. By Charles Chaper. Charles who? Charles, I need to know who to blame. Sorry. I mean, his name even sounds like Barath. Charles J. Barris and James W. Porter. Good Lord. <sighs> what was it? American Bottom Archaeology. <laughs> yes. God. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, I'm going to flip it. This is... um. This is not about archaeology in the conventional sense. We're talking archaeology more of uh, in the metaphorical sense of digging through historical records. Um, okay. You know the way, uh, I forget the term for this, but um, there is apparently quite a tendency among historians and uh, literature experts and everything that deals with like people who wrote stuff in the past, they will find um, historical figures of the same gender who wrote like impassioned love letters to each other over a period of years and be like, oh, look at them. They were best mates. What a friendship for the ages. You've, you've heard of this phenomenon. Maybe perhaps you know the term for it. Uh, I don't know the term. For I'm it. sure there's a term like whitewashing or whatever. Maybe it's straightwashing. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. the assumption that nobody could possibly be gay, you know, back when it was illegal. 
Um, so clearly they were just, you know, best friends, just real good pals. Um, this is, uh, in response to that, it's like a re-examination of history to identify not just who was gay, but who was a bottom. <laughs> yeah, maybe there's some examination of power bottoms and uh, that sort of thing in there Absolutely, well. that's a chapter at least. Napoleon? You never know. <laughs> I don't make any assumptions, but maybe. He was powerful. He was. It's <laughs> definitely powerful. <laughs> and yeah, possibly had the right temperament. I don't know. Okay. Right, yeah, that's a, that's a good shout. Okay, the next one is called... Butterworth's Corporate Manslaughter Service <laughs> by Gerard Fallin. Nice. Um, Butterworth's Corporate Manslaughter Service. <laughs> I I want it to be about <laughs> about a, a corporate service you can hire and they will commit manslaughter for you. <laughs> I suspect it might be more like, it seems a little more realistic that it might be like a better call Saul scenario. Like it's a dodgy lawyer that you call when your company has committed manslaughter. You know, you're culpable in someone's accidental death and uh, they're the guys you call to get you off the hook. Yeah, um, it's, it's not like, um, it's like, Hey, so you want us to murder this guy? No, 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 no. I don't want you to murder him. I want you to manslaughter him. Yeah, I'm not an animal. Come on. He's to do it by accident. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess uh, feasibly a good hitman makes it look like an accident, right? Yeah, the kind of hitman that makes a kill that is obviously a murder but then disappears without a trace. And then you have the even better hitman where people don't even realise it was a murder. But someone called Butterworth, I don't trust it. I don't think they've got that level of professionalism. So I think instead they're the sleazy lawyer that you call... Um, you know, when your terrible health and safety practices have, have killed one of your valued employees. <laughs> Kill them with butter. Okay, and the the last book uh, in mine is called Grandpa John's Mystery Gong by Henry Williams. Grandpa John. Now, he wasn't one of the grandpas in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, right? There was Grandpa Joe. I don't I don't actually remember the other grandpa. There was a second grandpa. one, right? Because there were two pairs there in that was. bed. And he was just like, screw you, Grandpa, too. I don't care about you Right? Who gives a damn? It's this particular yeah. Grandpa is coming with me. So possibly Grandpa John was the stay-at-home. And this is the long-awaited sequel, presumably authorised by the uh, Roald Dahl estate, uh, <laughs> in which, okay, maybe he didn't have a golden ticket. Maybe he didn't, you know, go on a magical chocolatey adventure. But, you know what? He had a mystery gong. And he's having his own adventures with Grandma Josephine. You don't know. <laughs> The adventure is, is quite sad. He just bangs the gong and she brings him dinner. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's in the bed, so that would be a miracle. Oh, that's true. There's four of them, aren't there? I yeah, that. yeah. I think I think it's the... Gosh, you know what? Did they arrange it men on one side, women on the other, or like couples to a side? I can't recall. You'd think it would be couples, wouldn't You'd you? You'd think but so, I, but it was I, a different it time. It might actually be... Maybe it's a, actually a very modern uh, family setup where the two sets of grandparents split up and then they both coupled up with each other. Oh, I see. Yeah. So the grandpas are together and the grandmas are together. You know what? That's not too insane already, given the premise that I've, I've remembered. I'm pretty sure he's called Grandpa George, which does does rather flatter uh, to me. I think it's Grandpa Joe and Grandma Josephine and Grandpa George and Grandma Georgina, which suggests yes. that they were specifically pairing up with people who shared their given name. <laughs> Maybe J Grandpa John is a secret grandpa they didn't discover. He pops out of the bed as well. He's under the bed I've been down, with his mystery gong. I've been, down, <laughs> I've been down here the whole time. <laughs> now listen to my mystery gong. Yes, there we go. That's very good. Okay, <laughs> let's get some blurbs. Okay. Noah Gets Naked. 
uh, discover 20 curious tales from the Old Testament that you've never heard and you'll never forget. Each story is illustrated and has a handy Bible reference to its source. Oh, thank goodness. Not in this book. So it's like, not in this book, colon. Noah's Ark, David and Goliath, the burning bush. In this book, colon. Noah's Hangover, David and his hairy son, the 300 flaming foxes, and many more. That... Oh, God, I mean, you being a, you know, a heathen, an apostate, I can imagine you writing this this vicious mockery, but um, uh-huh. I don't know. Maybe someone else is, is writing it too. I'm glad it's about the biblical Noah. And the bit that is about not in this book, is that like you know, collect them all, like, more in our series? Or is that just, like, we didn't bother with these ones? If you came here for the burning bush, I'm sorry. It's hard to... I think it's, yeah, it's, we, we didn't bother with the, the same old, same old. Okay. We're here for the... We're here for his hairy son. Fair enough. <laughs> David's hairy son, was it? Of David and Yeah, Goliath. David and his hairy son. Le- on to less interesting matters, unfortunately, because the title is amazing. Mm. American Bottom Archaeology. Mm. Uh, I don't even want to read it. Without doubt, the most ambitious archaeological undertaking to have been conducted in eastern North America since the WPA era. Don't know when that was. Yet despite the enormous scale of the endeavour and the staggering volume of data recovered, blah, blah, blah. It's an, it's an archaeological dig in a place called Bottom. Oh, come on. Well, look, I'll give you this. If you have written a blurb that you claim to be too bored to read in order to fake <laughs> me out, then fair play to you, sir. I will say this. The only interesting thing about that blurb is that they refer to archaeology as an undertaking. And I believe that yes. is literally true. <laughs> that, that is true. They're taking things from underneath. Right? That is a good point. Let's move on. Okay. Buttsworth's Corporate Manslaughter Service. This new textbook provides guidance and analysis on the developing concept of corporate liability for killing. It's written in a format whereby it examines the two important aspects of corporate responsibility for killing. Firstly, it sets out to advise companies and public bodies on policies essential to reducing the risk of fatal accidents. Secondly, it guides lawyers on how to proceed with a case where corporate liability for killing is an issue. They use the word killing a lot. Kind of like they're enjoying it. (laughs) Okay, I. Mm, it still doesn't read as something you'd written to me. I don't know. That doesn't seem like your style. Um, yeah. Okay. My last one then. Mm. Grandpa John's mystery gong. Billy loves to bash things, sticks, <laughs> sure drums, railings, Bishops. anything that makes a loud noise is on the menu to the eternal frustration of his parents. So when Billy finds an enormous gong in his grandpa's attic, there's only one response he knows: hitting it with all his might. Billy is amazed to find himself transported back in time and finds out the hard way that bashing things goes down poorly in the past. <laughs> I want to know about the, uh, the time-travelling inventors of Billy the Basher. Okay, uh, just run me through those titles one more time because I forgot what the first so one was. So it was uh, Noah Gets Naked, mm. American Bottom Archaeology, mm. Busterworth's Corporate Manslaughter Service, mm. and Grandpa John's Mystery Gong. All right, I'm going with Grandpa John. Ah, two for two. Yes! Ah. Undefeated champion! That's not true. I've definitely <laughs> been defeated in the past, but uh, champion of this episode. This, po- this is possibly the first time where you've got them all I right. I think it might be. Yes! New personal best. That's a good blurb. <laughs> oh, that's a great concept. You could write children's books easily. Yeah, yeah. I just need to be able to draw, which I cannot uh, <laughs> at all. <laughs> do they always illustrate their own? Oh, that's true. Luckily, I do know someone who can draw. There we go. That's all you need. That That's you, Adriana. Oh, no. You know. It's me. <laughs> Incredible. It's you. <laughs> I'd be willing. I'd be willing to give this a go. Do you have an idea for where he goes? When uh, he I'm, goes? I'm imagining he goes back to like 
he starts off like really far in the past and like works his way forward. Okay, because if you go back early and, enough, and like he just he amasses like this this train of like people chasing him. Oh, so there's Egyptians and Vikings the and yeah, yeah, they're all they're all following they're him. They're not happy because he bashed um, the wrong stuff. Yeah, like he 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 like bashed them on the head of their like horned helmet, and mm-hmm. they're not happy about it. I can see that. I can see that working very well. All right, listeners, chime in if uh, if you would buy this for your sprogs. <laughs> this this episode sponsored by uh, Grandpa John's Mystery Gong on Kickstarter. <laughs> Yeah, we should go back and make that our sponsor. Okay, great. Well, listen, I've got another four for you. You ready? I am, I am more than ready. All right. <clears throat> we begin with managing a dental practice, the Genghis Khan way. <laughs> okay. I mean, this just sounds like the worst dental practice in history. Because as we, you know, as most people know, Genghis Khan was famous for his brutal uh, raisings of towns as well as being a, a good political leader in actual fact, but also he was quite brutal. Um, he was known for sort of chopping people's heads off and sticking them on pikes, even kids and, and that sort of thing. So managing a dental practice that way, um, I guess you're just like, please fill in this feedback form. <laughs> and then if they give you less than four stars, then you like chop their head off and put their head on a pike outside. Which doubles as an advertisement for your business, because look how good their teeth look. Because their teeth look amazing. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, I guess it's just a book about um, a man's descent into brutal barbarism, uh, but he just happens to be a dentist at the time. Alright, so it's like a true crime thing, or like an autobiography written from jail? Uh, Maybe it's an autobiography. In fact, it could be that he starts conquering other dental practices. Ooh, (laughs) adding them to his He invades them with his own staff of dentists, with the drills and and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. On horses. uh, On on horses. (laughs) And he was famous, yeah, they were famous um, for their uh, archery skills on horseback, right? So yeah. what would they be doing on horseback? Firing? <laughs> There's not much long-range dentistry, is there? Let's be honest. I guess not, unless like laser dentistry becomes more of a thing. Maybe I'm, I'm, you know, I'm being too harsh on him. Maybe he's just performing dentistry from a horse. Okay, I'm going with that. He's performing dentistry on horseback. It's quite hard because he's got to bend down quite a long way. But anyway, <laughs> there we go. The patient's on horses. Everyone's on horses. Okay, I like it. That's good. Let's stick with that. <laughs> horseback dentistry. Okay, <clears throat> next up we have 66 Strudels. Oh, I didn't give you the authors, it doesn't matter, whatever. That, that, was, that was by Michael Young, if that makes a difference. This okay. one is uh, 66 Strudels, an adventure collection by Hans Bauberger. <laughs> Bauberger? Mm. That's two foods in one. Is a bao... Oh, yeah, it's a... Um... Is it like is it Thai or no? Um, it's some sort of Asian cuisine. There's little dumplings. It's like things. a steamed bun. Isn't yes, it? it is. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, there's a Pixar short named after it. It's not spelled that way. It's spelled B A U. Um, yes. I think that's B A U. I don't know if I'm pronouncing this wrong. Uh, I might be. I think it's Germanic. I guess Hans. I don't know. So sorry, sixty six strudels. Uh, an adventure collection. I mean, on a boring level, I imagine it's about sixty six fun strudels to eat, but. I want to say it's about the adventures of a family of 66 strudels, a tribe of strudels. <laughs> and they, they come together to form this adventure collection and they hit the town in Berlin. They're, you know, going bar to bar, just having a great old time, drinking lots of German beer. And I don't want it to be too dark because you could easily have it where people start eating the strudel. And I don't want that at all. Mm-hmm. It's a nice, jolly romp through Berlin. Um, and it's just lovely. All right. Sounds wholesome. Yeah. All right. That's good. Um, let's see what you make of the next one. 
This one is called Flatland, A Romance of Many Dimensions by Edwin A. Abbott. Oh, it's a bit of a uh, an oxymoron in that, isn't there? Hmm. Flatland, land... Uh... I mean, I imagine... It... Do I want to be logical about this? Okay, I actually <laughs> I think it's probably... It. I actually think it's probably about uh, flat earthers and, like, their weird world. Ooh. But... Maybe it's actually about a guy who, like, gets absorbed into some sort of two-dimensional world. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't know how you would describe that in book form. It's, like, so abstract. So maybe it's just, like, this really weird book, like, trying to describe a two-dimensional universe to a 3D audience. Uh, and it just doesn't really work. But he, he, you know, he had a good concept, but it just poorly executed, to be honest. Okay, so we, we, we've got that's, a That's one of the reviews review. on the back, actually. Yeah, the <laughs> it's like, mm, two stars. There's an idea yeah. in there, but not good. We something else. That's the best he could find in terms of reviews. Nice. He had to put something on there. The publisher was adamant. They got space to fill. <laughs> All right, good job. Um, finally, we have... Uh, okay, if I, if I read the... Is that fine? Hang on. How many have we had? Uh, we've D- had three. Dentistry. Oh, yeah. Dentistry, Strudel, and that yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. Um, this one is called... If I read the bit after the colon, it very much does tell you what it's about. But I've already been doing that, so whatever. Maybe next time I'll, I'll omit the uh, the subtitles until we get to the blurb section. This one is called Manifold Destiny. The one, the only, guide to cooking on your car engine by Chris Maynard. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, this one doesn't leave much room for for doubt. Mm. It's about cooking on your car. Um, I'm guessing it's like, you see things where it's like, it's so hot out that you can cook an egg on your car bonnet. Um, so I guess it's just about like, hey, we did that once and that was fun. Let's try and cook a whole meal. Like, instead of like, who needs to buy a barbecue? Just drive your car through your fence and you can have a barbecue (laughs) Without any fuel, think of the savings. And it's just like, you know, making a full fried breakfast or like, uh, maybe he actually go he like, he starts off with the simple stuff, but then he goes into really like haute cuisine. <laughs> like he's making a sort of... It's um, all soufflés and... And like seagrass foam. <laughs> like all sorts of stuff. But on this like beat up old Ford Mustang. <laughs> it's a good image. He's got his chef's hat, but also his... God, what are people who drive cars his dri- wear? His driving gloves. Yes, exactly. There we are. Driving gloves, <laughs> driving shoes, driving goggles, driving scarf. Anyway. <clears throat> all right, brilliant. Let's hear some gloves. Absolutely drenched in sweat because he's wearing all this stuff. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> the toke is, is limp and uh, sodden. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> okay, hit me with some synopses. So, managing a dental practice, the Genghis Khan way. The parallel aims of a dental practice are to deliver excellent patient care through highly trained and motivated employees and to maximise income and profit. Achieving these aims as a practice manager demands a clear vision, sound preparation, planning and marshalling of resources, broad business knowledge, an understanding of a rapidly changing world, and above all, wise judgement. Dismemberment. (laughs) (laughs) So why Genghis Khan? Although some in the West see him in negative terms, eh, some, eh, the Mongol leader created one of the world's greatest empires. His hugely successful strategies included intelligence gathering, understanding his rival's motivations, being quick to learn and adopt new technologies and ideas, and success. 
successful people management (laughs) and elocution and oratory. Genghis Khan is one of history's most charismatic and dynamic leaders, and you will need all his skill, strength, and tenacity to succeed in both dentistry and business. What an amazing fusion. Mm. I mean, I I have learned a bit about Genghis Khan, and I don't doubt his, uh, his, his empire was impressive. Um, and was surprisingly liberal, but what what quite how it is relevant to dentistry? I don't know. I don't know. It feels a bit book. feels a bit forced. <laughs> well, let's see what you make of the next one. Um, what? Which way are you leaning on that one? Real or fake? I I think that's probably real. Okay. To be honest, like, uh, yeah, but I don't think that's. It doesn't sound like something you'd write. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Let's see what you make of this one. 66 Strudels, an adventure collection by Hans Barberger. Are you ready for a new adventure? Do you enter the gingerbread house? Should you accept the Snow Queen's fudge? Will you be invited... Oh, it is exciting. Yeah, right? Will you be invited to the Ogre King's feast? Or will you wind up as dessert? You are the hero of the story in this collection of deliciously treat-themed interactive tales. Choose your own adventure where every decision you make can lead you closer to a delectable happy ending or a hard-to-swallow defeat. Ooh, there's some good uh, good imagery in there. I like that one. Sounds um, tasty. Although his name is Hans, and I think, ooh, are you just? Did you just go? I need a German name. <laughs> <laughs> What's the most German name? Hans. Well, that is there we fruits. go. <laughs> moving, moving on. <laughs> Hans Balberger. That sounds German. That doesn't... <laughs> All right, playing the psychological game with the author names. I like it. Strong. I'm going to pay more attention to those next time. Um, Let's see what you make of it. This next author is is Edwin A. Abbott, if that makes a difference. Um, This is Flatland, A Romance of Many Dimensions. Uh This masterpiece of science and mathematical fiction is a delightfully unique and highly entertaining satire that has charmed readers for more than a hundred years. It describes the journeys of A. Square, a mathematician and resident of the two dimensions... That's a name, by the way. That's like A, the initial square with a capital S. Ah, I see. A mathematician and resident of the two-dimensional flatland. So you were bang on about entering a weird two-dimensional world. Yeah. Um, Where... (laughs) Yeah, this is the great bit. This is where you can tell it's over 100 years old. A mathematician and resident of the two-dimensional flatland where women, thin, straight lines, are the lowliest of shapes. Oh, great. Mm. And where men may have any number of sides depending on their social status. Oh, brilliant. Mm. <laughs> Through strange occurrences that bring him into contact with a host of geometric forms, Square has adventures in Spaceland, three dimensions, Lineland, one dimension, and Pointland, no dimensions, and ultimately entertains thoughts of visiting a land of four dimensions, a revolutionary idea for which he has returned to his two-dimensional world. And thank goodness he never has to deal with pesky women. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. gosh, is that it's popular for a hundred years? Is it still popular? I can't tell you that. Huh? Yeah, because obviously men are multifaceted and have many dimensions, whereas women only have one. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, maybe he's uh, you know calling out the glass ceiling because he says the many sides are depending on their social status. So maybe this is like a uh, society's grinding them down, and he's uh, making a commentary. I don't know. I don't want to judge. Mm, well, I will never read it. So, <laughs> so judge away. We, we will never know. <laughs> okay, cool. What's your last one? Finally, we have Manifold Destiny: The One, The Only Guide to Cooking on Your Car Engine by Chris Maynard giving new meaning to the term fast food. 
Rest top grade F meat patty? Nah. Nuggets of reconstituted poultry bits? Pass. Deep fried fish discus? No, really. Thanks all the same. It's time to bid farewell to the roadside meal as you know it. Nearly 20 years ago, Chris Maynard and Bill Scheller opened the world's eyes to the beauty of car engine gastronomy in the original Manifold <laughs> Destiny. And now that another generation of both drivers and eaters has emerged, the cult classic is due for an overhaul. <laughs> This is a sequel. Apparently so, or a, re, a new edition, perhaps. In wow. this shiny, spanking new edition, there we go, learn how to make s'mores in your Scion, poach fish in your Pontiac, even bust out a gourmet snack from under the hood of your Escalade. With step-by-step diagrams, crowd-pleasing recipes, and thorough instructions, now you can turn your car into a kitchen without ever crossing any golden arches. Hilarious, bizarre, and ultimately, seriously, useful, Manifold Destiny is, and always will be, an unparalleled original. So slap a ham steak under the hood of your car, hit the gas, and drive until you reach Delicious, which is in approximately 50 miles, depending on traffic. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> I mean, God, if, this, if that's real, then people have got a lot of time on their hands, haven't mm. they? Mm-hmm. And diverse hobbies. They are definitely the guys who, like, had they been born today, would have made that into a YouTube channel. Oh, they would not have got as far as a book. For all we know, maybe it is a YouTube channel based on the book. Oh, now. could well be. Yeah, like an epic okay. type thing. That is a contender. But the what was the second one again? Oh, the the bow, <laughs> Hans Bauer. Yeah, like Hans Bauer. Is that too tempting a target? <laughs> I mean, it could just be a guy who is like. <laughs> I'm going to me- use a fake name to make this even more ridiculous. <laughs> or is it that you just chose the most German name? I don't know. The most German food sounding name. Ah. Okay, I'm going with it. 66 strudels is fake. All right, you're bang on. And that is exactly yes! what I did. I googled German names. <laughs> and I found Bauberger. <laughs> oh. Yes. Very good. <laughs> you couldn't think of another German name. <laughs> I just liked it too much. I'm sorry. You can't resist your puns. I couldn't resist a, a name with burger in it. I didn't even realize about Bao. <laughs> but and also, I think it wasn't even Bao Burger. It was, it was Hans that, that first you. tipped me off. Right. Because I was like, if I had to think of another German name, it would take me a while. Yeah. No, I, I, I'd think of Fritz and then that's kind of... Or it. like Greta? Maybe. Uh, yeah. Is Fritz even a, an actual German name or is that just a sort of insult? Oh God, maybe it is. Like Limey. Yeah. God, I don't even know. I don't even know. There we are, my hubris. I, I put too little effort <laughs> into the author name, and that's what caught me out. That's what tripped you up. I will know. That was a good time. one, though. I enjoyed that. Yeah? All right. Thank you. Amazing. Well, we've all learned something. I think we've learned a lot. Um, we've learned a lot about American bottom archaeology. Mm-hmm. Although, actually, we haven't learned much about that, because I couldn't even be bothered to read the synopsis. We've learned that bottom is a place in America, which I would make fun of if Britain weren't full of ridiculous places. Someone I know lives in a place called Happy Bottom. Oh, that's fun. So. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, that sounds delightful. Quaint. I mean, just, there's a London tube station called Cockfosters. Yes. And that's fine. It's absolutely fine. Yeah. And it, there's announcements about it. It just is what it is. So, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'm going to add who all these books Maybe to my Christmas you... list is what I'm going to do. I'm going to learn how to manage a dental <laughs> practice the Genghis Khan way. Because that is a that's, real thing yeah, that's you can real. do. I mean, why did he think that was a good... I, I assume it was a guy. Was it a guy? Uh, Michael Young, so presumably. Yes. Why did he think that was a good idea? I love the idea of a business... 
you know, like a businessman TM, right? Like probably yeah. sleeps in his suit. Um, just like with one of those 80s flip open, like mobile phones, just really just he heard about Genghis Khan and was like, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm like. I'm like a Mongol warlord in my business dealings. <laughs> Well, I manage my dental practice. I'm going to write a book about it, about how you need to be like a Mongol warlord to manage a dental practice. Genius. I can now see it was published in 2010. And so actually, um, I hate it a lot more because I feel like somehow if it had been published in the 70s or 80s, I would have forgiven it a lot more. But that was only 10 years ago. And I don't know. Like somehow I would want it to be a bit more woke. Yeah, I mean, like, I can't imagine a woman writing that book. Like, no. huh, I'm going to... Tell people how to manage dental practice. Who are my icons? Yes, Genghis Khan. <laughs> how relevant to dentistry and how relevant to my life? Absolutely. Only a deluded, <laughs> I imagine quite old, ridiculous man would uh, would do that. But anyway. Yeah, we are making some assumptions here, but um, he's not painting a great picture. No. Oh, well, I'm sure we will return at some point to... Um, bi- bi- what was he called? Biblio... <laughs> a bibliophony? Bibliophony... Bibliophony. Mm, bibliophony. Um, it's like a cacophony of books. Yes. Is that what... Yes, that's why it's called that, sort of. Yeah. But also phony. Exactly. Yes. Oh, we're so we're clever. We're so clever, Andy. Anyway. <laughs> For more clever, clever, clever conversations, uh, tune in next time to Hypotheticals Podcast. <laughs> That was the Hypotheticals podcast. Adriano, where can people find us online? We're all over the place, Andy. Oh, we're everywhere. Everywhere. That's right. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Just search for Hypotheticals. That is Hypotheticals, the weird way we spell it, but without the R. Yes. And uh, if you would like to leave us a rating on a podcast app of your choice, be that Acast, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Whatever they may be, may take some digging, but if you could leave us a five-star rating, uh, it would mean that we would get more than at least five listeners. We would love you so, so much. And please, why not tell a friend who might enjoy listening to our dulcet tones. And we will see you next time. Bye! I've never had Lamange. I honestly, I confuse it with, I think it's called bouillabaisse, which is the fish-based <laughs> dish oh. that Fleur de la Cour uh, <laughs> asks ah. the Gryffindor table for uh, in the fourth Harry Potter book. I was imagining a fish jelly, and that wasn't very nice. It might be, <laughs> for oh. all I know. <laughs> I'm going to look it up. What is, if I can spell it, bouillabaisse. bouillabaisse. Oh my god. Do you know what the French word for kettle is? Uh, no. I'm going to say it in a way that would make French people angry if they could hear me. Um, <laughs> bouilloire, I think. Bouilloire. It's spelled B-O-U-I-L-L-O-I-R-E, I believe. Yeah, refers to kettle. Huh. And, I mean, people say squirrel is a difficult word, but I really struggled with bouilloire. Oui, bouilloire. Yeah. Bouilloire. I can't do the R thing, so I can't speak most French. No, uh, that is a problem. You've got to avoid all the R words. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it adds difficulty. Okay, bouillabaisse is not a jelly. It is a fishy broth. Mm. And Blamange, you're telling me, contains no fish at all. I don't believe so, unless you make it wrong. Okay. Oh, yeah, there we go. It's literally just interesting, 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 interesting. <laughs>